Hello everyone, I'm Paris Fox and I'd like to welcome you to 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership with Tom Fox, hosted by Richard Lummis. What makes a great leader? Is it genetic or can you learn leadership skills? Join Tom Fox and Richard Lummis in this podcast where they consider leadership from a wide variety of perspectives, academic, behavioral science, history, popular culture, the movies, and much more. You'll learn about specific tactics and strategies that you can bring to your own leadership toolkit. 12 O'Clock High is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, this is Richard Lummis, and I'm here with Tom Fox for another episode of 12 O'Clock High, a podcast about leadership. In these discussions, we draw what we hope are interesting examples from our own experiences, history, business, literature, and politics to examine what constitutes good leadership and extract lessons we can use to improve our own leadership skills. Welcome back, Tom. Thank you, Richard. We're continuing our series on presidents today with the second of five podcasts covering Theodore Roosevelt. Our previous episode dealt with his early life from his birth through his career as a rancher and cowboy, which ended abruptly with the blizzards of 1887 and his remarriage. Today, we'll be discussing his life and political career up until the assassination of William McKinley in 1901. Um. One of the first things he did when he came back was run for mayor of New York City, and that was actually uh, in 1886. And he lost. He lost that election, um, mainly because a socialist named Henry George was in the lead. And so the Republican bosses uh, ordered their voters to vote for the Democratic machine candidate rather than Roosevelt. He's pretty bitter about that um, and apparently didn't like to talk about it much. Uh, in his later life. Uh, after that, he was appointed to the Civil Service Commission with uh, fellow commissioners Charles Lyman and Hugh Thompson. Uh, Benjamin Harrison's cabinet was engaged in the usual spoil system politics of the time, and the Civil Service Commission was generally regarded as sort of a sinecure and powerless. The Pendleton Act of 1883 had guaranteed that a, a quarter of federal jobs would be based on qualifications, and the rest were going to be allocated according to patronage. The commission had very limited powers to investigate, and even if they uncovered something, they could only recommend prosecution to the cabinet officer who oversaw the relevant department. Roosevelt's main antagonist throughout his uh, term on the Civil Service Commission was a man named John Wanamaker, who was Postmaster General. And at the time, the post office was probably the largest source of federal patronage jobs. And Roosevelt was not appointed for six weeks after Harrison took office, and Wanamaker used that time pretty well to uh, distribute uh, patronage jobs to the loyal uh, underlings. Roosevelt here, I think, showed his genius for publicity. Um, he, he showed this throughout his career. But although his, his post was relatively uh, impotent, um, he decided to go through a series of public hearings, uh, first in New York City, where he's guaranteed favorable media coverage, um, and then in Indianapolis and Milwaukee. In Milwaukee in particular, there was a, a scheme to falsify exam records in order to promote unqualified people. And one of the guys, a man named Hamilton Scheide, uh, testified, uh, and he'd been involved in the scheme. Roosevelt promised him protection, but Wanamaker fired him anyway. So Roosevelt got him a job in the Census Bureau. Uh, This later became a a serious scandal because 
um, Shaidi, of course, had uh, had perjured himself and participated in the uh, falsification of federal records, and then uh, Roosevelt had backed him for a job. But Roosevelt uh, refused to apologize for it, and he said it was right because he did it. Um, he was more or less vindicated in the court of public opinion, but uh, it, it kind of shadowed him for a while. Now, Tom, here's something. About this time, he read, in the course of a single weekend, uh, Alfred Thayer Mahan's book, The Influence of Sea Power on History. And uh, I, I know that you have some opinions about this the, uh, and its relevance to uh, the turn of the 20th century politics. But it, uh, If there was one book that influenced uh, this period of time, certainly from the military perspective, uh, this was probably the book. Uh, I think there are other books uh, that were equally important for other parts of American or even world, uh, the world stage at that point. But this, uh, this book really influenced Roosevelt. And when he moved to the national stage, he took um, many of the concepts that Mahan uh, put forward, uh, largely remember today as a series of colonies for coaling stations for ships seeing a great fleet as what led you to be a great power. And I think if you looked at Great Britain at this time period, I believe this was the height of of empire. And I think one could reasonably conclude that that was uh, a, a fair path to follow. The, um, the work he did in the Civil Service Commission led to him becoming New York Police Commissioner. And if I could maybe step back with that and then with the uh, moving to the national stage, uh, some of the lessons uh, or themes we see from Roosevelt, Richard, uh, taking the police commissioner's job may not have been as um, plain Jane or vanilla as the uh, uh, Civil Service Commission it seemed, but it certainly was not seen as a step to national prominence. And he utilized this uh stage to remove attempt to remove corruption from the New York police New York police make the police uh, more efficient and responsive to the citizens of New York his storied walking uh, police beats uh, from in the graveyard shift uh, were, was a brilliant political ploy and a brilliant PR ploy and actually improved the police department because policemen couldn't sleep on the graveyard shift because they might actually get punched by Roosevelt. Uh, so that's sort of part of the legend, but it also points up to how hard he worked. And when he took up a cause, he took it up wholeheartedly. Um, his reading of Thayer um, also points up to uh, what I, uh, I think are, is one of the key themes that I've learned from Roosevelt, which is lifelong learning. And we saw that in episode one, and we see this throughout uh, his his life, uh, his uh, lifelong learning and how moving to um, the national stage, he was able to implement that. He moved to the national stage largely uh, because of his work on the um, uh a presidential campaign of uh, uh, 1896, and then Henry Cabot Lodge actually sponsored him uh, for um, uh, a presidency, and uh, excuse me for uh, the assistant 
Secretary of Navy, not the Secretary of the Navy. So once again, he took a position which may not have seemed one that he uh, would lead to such high prominence, yet he was able to take what he brought to the job uh, with with theirs theoretical background and expand that into a series of actions that you and I both marvel at literally 130 years later or 125 years later uh, that he pulled off um, that not that's not fair he was prepared for and executed in the war with Spain in a way that certainly surprised the Spanish, and I think demonstrates that it's not simply execution, but it's planning before execution. He did execute, and his admirals executed, but the planning was in place. And I think all of that goes back to, I would take that back to Thayer. I don't know how how you might feel about that, but what did you think about his performance in the early stages of the war with Spain? Well, I mean, it was phenomenal, and as you point out, I think his reading of Thayer— led him to be prepared, and the um, it was in the run-up to the war that he really proved his worth. Um, he, had, he had engineered Dewey's command in the Far East Squadron because there was a more senior man who should have gotten the post, according to protocol, and uh, Roosevelt just sort of lost the letter for a, a week or two until he was able to get Dewey appointed to the post. Uh, the actual secretary of the Navy seemed to um, take all this in stride, which struck me uh, as kind of odd, but he may have recognized uh, what what sort of talent he was dealing with. And he was apparently fairly lazy anyway. But so anyway, so Dewey was stationed in Hong Kong and fully cold up and, um, and ready to go. The, uh, and as you pointed out, the, the, uh, the coaling stations uh, stationed around the world, and the uh, uh, the modernization of the fleet in general was was all partly due to uh, Roosevelt's work before the war. The um, the Battle of Manila Bay, which was the total destruction of the Spanish fleet, I had always thought was sort of the end of the Philippine campaign, but it wasn't. Um, the, there was a land campaign that involved the capture of Manila. And in August, the Spaniards surrendered to the Americans, which was a betrayal of the Philippine uh, revolutionaries and, and caused us a great deal of trouble subsequently. Um, but the uh, but I guess it was mainly in the Pacific that the Navy took the took the lead role. And then we moved to Roosevelt resigning his post as Assistant Secretary of the Navy to organize the Rough Riders. And this is obviously one of the, the legendary uh, tales of Teddy Roosevelt, how he organized this himself. He went to the, um, I think it was the Drake Hotel in San Antonio and had a few drinks and Minger, excuse me, uh, had a few drinks, took some horses into the bar, uh, uh, trained his men, equipped his men, got them to Cuba largely on the strength of his personal fortune and his name and and, uh, his own willpower. Uh, But when you look at the – and it was not simply – well – I think it was uh, something that he aspired to in his life to be a military commander. Uh, I won't say he was the the best military commander on the ground, but he did lead from the front. And that's something that we've – another theme throughout his his life. And he put himself with his men 
and uh, did uh, comport himself with honor uh, in the land campaign and certainly with the Rough Riders. To back up a little bit, I think one of the striking things to me was uh, there were 23,000 applications for a little over 1,000 spots in the, in the Rough Riders. Um, and Roosevelt was actually only the lieutenant colonel. Uh, Leonard Wood was the original colonel. But I think that shows his incredible popularity, um, which is something else we see throughout his career as a national politician, is that people just loved and admired him. And um, I think part of that was his just superhuman energy. Uh, but he certainly had just a level of charisma that was incredible. The uh, the actual land campaign, you know, was was fairly brief. Um, the, the head was a, a 300 pound veteran general named Rufus Shafter and, uh, Roosevelt said, not since the campaign of Crassus against the Parthians has there been so criminally incompetent a general as Shafter. Um, the, the Spanish plan was basically to hold out until yellow fever and dysentery had killed off the Americans, which would have worked except for the fact that thanks in, at least in part to the energy of, uh, of Roosevelt and Wood, the the campaign was over very briefly. Um, a couple of other little incidents happened. Um, they were short of food, and so he uh, found out that there were eleven hundred pounds of beans in a in a ship off the coast, and he went to requisition them and was told they were only for officers. And he said that his officers could easily eat eleven hundred pounds of beans. <laughs> um, he showed incredible courage. Um, I think kind of overlooked that, but he actually did lead from the front, and it's astonishing he wasn't killed. He was mounted for the uh, charge up Kettle Hill. Uh, the San Juan Hill was, was the second objective of the day. Um, but it was it was remarkable, um, the, the courage he showed under fire. Here again, we had another... A problematic issue that where the Spaniards would surrender to the Americans rather than to the Cubans, um, causing hard feelings all around. Um, after the the Battle of San Juan, the troops were falling uh, ill due to uh, yellow fever and dysentery, and so the officers petitioned to. Uh, be removed from Cuba after seven weeks. None of the regular army officers wanted to sign the letter, so Roosevelt uh, signed the letter demanding that they be withdrawn and somehow managed to get it published before the uh, commanding general even received it. Um, but so the troops were withdrawn after only seven weeks. Um, and But that really set a fire under his uh, national prominence and led a almost directly to his election as governor of New York. And so he comes back to the United States in uh, 1898 in the same, I think in August, and he's elected governor of New York in uh, November of uh, eight, the same year. He holds that position for, uh, I guess, a year and a half up until the uh, presidential election of 1900, which would have been the second term of William McKinley. Um, the uh, It was interesting. There was a, a series of events which led to him becoming the VP on that candidacy, Richard. Uh, I think the VP uh, died. He died in a way at a time that was so close to the election uh, that uh, um, they were able to maneuver him into becoming the vice president. Obviously, not understanding the consequences of, of their actions, uh, the Republican Party, but uh, 
he uh, is now elected uh, vice president. And um, some of the key leadership lessons from this phase of this life, Richard, uh, I thought uh, these are going to be themes that we reiterate throughout this series. But uh, number one was uh, when you talk about his defeat uh, as the mayor of New York, you're right. Uh, it's not something he spoke about, nor is it really remembered uh, as well today. But uh, Shannon Briss, in her article uh, that we've cited in the uh, the show notes, uh, pick yourself up when you fall. And uh, Roosevelt picked himself up and got Henry Cabot Lodge to help maneuver him into the Civil Service Commission and use that uh, as a platform. Um, from uh, the article Leadership Hacks, Find a cause. One of the things that uh, clear themes we see throughout every one of these podcast episodes is uh, Roosevelt would find a cause and uh, he would back that cause. And once he started with a cause, you know, Katie barred the door. Um, And then finally, uh, his communication skills, Richard. Uh, We saw this, uh, the beginnings of this in episode one, but I really think you hit the nail on the head. His use of uh, the media, his use of favorable media. I talked about the the walking the beat in New York, and there may have been a tactical reason for that. There may have been a strategic reason for that as police commissioner, but there was certainly a PR reason. And he was able to communicate simply and directly uh, by that action and uh, subtly or not subtly waking up sleeping police officers told a story, and he was able to communicate through stories. And Doris Kearns Goodwin cited his ability to do that as a a key leadership lesson. Were there any uh, lessons from this phase of his life that particularly struck you? Uh, I I agree with those three. The the pick yourself up when you fall was an interesting one because the – you know, he had some personal tragedy about the same time that he um, became – joined the the, uh, police commissioner board – um, instead of running for mayor again, which he'd been encouraged to do, his brother Elliot, who was a, a raving alcoholic and a philanderer, um, and his wife both were wrapped up in, in a huge family scandal and, and had died. And so Roosevelt was in no position to run for mayor, but he opted to tread water and take the police commissioner job. And he turned that into, as you pointed out, a publicity springboard and established his credentials as a reformer. Um, and oddly enough, his that his tenure there wasn't entirely successful and that most of the people he removed, he tried to remove for corruption, actually simply resigned with full pensions. But he was able to uh, turn that into a, a win, um, mainly, again, through his uh, shrewd use of publicity. You know, th- this phase of his life was 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 interesting. I didn't know anything about it uh, prior to doing the research for this. Um, I knew vaguely. I thought he'd actually been um, the police chief of New York City rather than serving on the police commission with with other people. But but it, it's an interesting middle act to his life, and it, it does also show the importance of preparedness for when opportunity strikes. I think we saw that when he was uh, secretary, assistant secretary of the Navy that uh, he took advantage of a, uh, a boss who was uh, lethargic and frequently absent to, uh, to implement his own policies. 
I have to say, uh, the older I get, the more I appreciate the phrase, when preparation meets opportunity, luck arises. And uh, that uh, we see that again and again in Roosevelt's life. And it's unclear to me if he was consciously preparing, but he was preparing. And that's what really leads me to one of the themes I want our listeners to take away from this entire podcast series of, of constant learning. And he learned at every job. He read, as you clearly uh, we talked about, and certainly in episode one, and you pointed out today. But he learned, and he learned, and he learned, and he didn't stop learning. Well, and he was omnivorous, um, which is the other thing. He didn't just read, uh, uh, you know, leadership books or uh, or business books. He he just read everything and and synthesized it all in a way that really is remarkable. Um, and for you know his his reading of of uh, the the sea power in history, um, and then his implementation of those lessons really is quite remarkable. Well, I can't wait to see what uh, we come up with in this presidency. Well, up next is uh, vice presidency and presidency, and we hope you'll tune back in. For now, this is Richard Lummis and Tom Fox with Twelve O'clock High. This is Tom Fox. I hope you enjoyed this part one of our five-part podcast series on leadership lessons from Theodore Roosevelt. I hope you will join Richard and I through the month of July on this special series on 12 O'Clock High. 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership, is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. We are also a proud member of C-Suite Radio. I hope you'll join us again. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to visiting with you next week on the Leadership Lessons from Theodore Roosevelt. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.